Good evening, house. I'm Josh. I am also one of the pastors here. If I've met you, it has probably been in the context of core groups so far. So, welcome to, I don't know, a house where I preach. So, we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer, and tonight we've got the task of talking through, give us this day our daily bread. Eight years ago, my wife and I both graduated from grad school. We were in Massachusetts. I went to seminary up there at a place called Gordon-Conwell, and she went to a very small, easy-to-get-into college called Harvard University. Um, And we graduated at the same time I was looking for work in ministry. She was looking for work in education. She was looking for work in education, and we started casting a wide net for our job search. We had lived in a few different places. We're from this, we're from Tennessee-ish. She's from Memphis originally, born and bred whole life. Um, I moved to Memphis when I was 10 from very small town, Mississippi, Um, but we were in Massachusetts. We had previously lived in Chicago, and so we were looking in all these different places for our new jobs. Now, when you're job hunting and your opponent has Harvard on their uh, resume, they get the first offer. That's just the way this works. So, she got a job offer in Chicago where we had previously lived, and we decided to move. I had applied to some jobs there and had two very good leads. I had made it to the final round of one of the jobs, and I really thought that I was going to be a good fit at that organization. Now, give us this day our daily bread. This idea says something about who God is and who we are in relation to Him. Give us this day our daily bread. Communicate something that we believe when we pray it about who God is. And we prayed it at the very beginning of this series. Our Father. When we ask for Him to give us our daily provisions, we recognize Him as Father, as a good Father who gives gifts, as a Father who cares about His children. That's really hard for some of us to believe that God actually cares about our lives. But He cares so much about our lives that He sent His Son to the cross to bear it. And so if you don't believe that God cares, reflect on Jesus Reflect on what He's done on the cross. God is a good Father who cares deeply for His children and provides for them. James says that every good gift comes from above. And in our passage tonight, Matthew 7, it says, For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be opened. Which one of you If his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, 
just slides that right in there. If you, in, uh, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Give us this day our daily bread says something about who God is. And Jesus knew Him as a good Father and depended on Him to sustain Him to the cross and through the cross and out of the grave. And that's the same type of dependence that we should have on Him when we pray. So the thing that it creates in us, that it says about us, is that we are dependent on God. So God is a good Father who gives good gifts and cares about the most fundamental things in us and for us, and we are dependent on Him fully. All good gifts come from above. All of them. Our dependence should create in us two postures. The first is humility. We have the privilege of being a gift recipient from the Father. And if we know that everything good in our lives has come from Him, and that we've done nothing for it, that should create in us something like humility. The fun or not so fun thing about humility is that uh, you should, let me just, this is free advice, you should humble yourselves or you will be humbled. It always works that way. You should humble yourselves or you should be humbled. Now, when we got to Chicago, I had two job prospects. They both fell through. I didn't get either one. And I was pretty devastated. We had moved, we had gotten an apartment assuming that we were going to have two incomes. And so we had a very nice, cool apartment that we could no longer afford as long as I was not working. And I had to humble myself a little bit. And I reached out to a friend. As I mentioned, we had lived there before. I reached out to a friend who was a contractor. And I just asked him if he had any work for me. I had no discernible skills to work with him, but he said, sure. He was gracious, and he said he would teach me whatever I needed to know on the job. Now, he gave me the worst, dirty jobs, the things that he didn't want to do that required very little skill, but I did those things. Now, my first job was a little less dirty. It was kind of fun. I was repairing and restaining a deck for this couple. They lived in the suburbs in Chicago, and I would commute out there um, each day. And after two days of working on the deck, I met one of the homeowners. I was there late enough that she got home, and I don't remember exactly what she did. I do remember what the husband did. They were both PhDs and both pretty successful based on the looks of their home uh, and what we were doing. And we struck up a conversation. She asked how long I had been in Chicago. I kind of gave her the spiel, like, oh, I had lived here before, and we just moved back. I went to grad school. And she was like, did you, did you graduate? Did you finish grad school? I was like, yeah. Um, and her response when I said yes cut me to the core. She said, what happened? What happened? And I took that to mean... Why then, if you just finished your master's in theology, are you here staining my deck? And that, well, it took everything, all of the emotions that I had been feeling, 
uh, bubbled to the surface, and I got through the conversation, I cleaned up, I got in my car, and I broke down, and every ounce of pride that I still was holding on to was ripped out with those two words. What happened? Either humble yourself, or you will be humbled. Now, in our humility, one of the ways that we can humble ourselves is that we begin to shift our focus to recognize the gifts that we've been given. Sometimes they're really hard to find. Sometimes they're really small things that we've ignored, that we've looked over, that we've looked past. Small things that actually bring us joy. God works in the small things, in the fundamental things. Food for us, daily bread, is not something that we, in a university setting, often are very worried about. We're not worried about where our next meal comes from. Now, there are a lot of people who do worry that, and maybe that was your situation growing up. But now, the university does a lot to make sure that you're not worried about where your next meal comes from. And so we begin to take that kind of thing for granted. And we begin to forget that it is a gift from God. So I want to encourage you to be attuned to the ways in which God is actually working in your lives, in the small things, and in the people that He is putting around you, that He is surrounding you with, the community, this community, your roommates, who maybe they don't feel like a gift yet. Maybe, maybe you did not hit the jackpot with your roommates, uh, and they don't quite feel like a gift. I want to encourage you to begin to change your attitude towards them. The reality is, all people have the potential to be a gift. All people were created in God's image for a purpose. And it can be really hard for us to see that. We encounter people and we, uh, we initially have something like suspicion or cynicism or annoyance. We think we're better than them. We think they're not, I, whatever, some air of superiority that we have towards people that we just meet, they say one thing wrong, and we cast all sorts of judgment. And when we begin to see them as a gift, as a bearer of God's image, with the potential to actually learn something from them, because here's the deal, they have something to teach you. And if you can humble yourself enough to believe that they have something to teach you, you might just learn something. I have two children a two-year-old and a five-year-old, both boys. And I knew when I had kids that they would teach me things. But I don't think I was prepared at just how early they would begin teaching me things. My oldest is named Julian. And before he could talk, he was teaching me things. I want to let you in on a, on a secret about babies that maybe you don't know. I don't know if any of you have children, but most of you don't. I'm almost certain of that. A secret about babies is that they cry. They cry a lot, and they prevent you from sleeping a lot. And sometimes, when you're really exhausted because they've been crying a lot, and they're still crying, you get frustrated. And science says that babies know when the people around them are frustrated. They can pick up on that vibe somehow. Babies are 
telepathic, I guess. But they can feel the tension. It's palpable. They know that, they're, that you're frustrated. And the beautiful thing is when you're a parent, they still want you. You're the one that's frustrated with them. You're the one that's annoyed that everything that you're trying to get to work is not working. They're ignoring it. And you're frustrated, and they still want you to console them and comfort them. There's something beautiful about that. When they're a little older, say, toddler, maybe still not talking. They begin to make a mess once they're mobile. They can get into things. They're crawling around, or they're pulling up on things, and they're pulling things off of a table, drinks off of a table, spilling things. And they're not trying to do those things. They're just exploring the world around them. But you're tired because they're still not letting you sleep. And sometimes they make a mess, and sometimes you get really frustrated. And in this case, I would catch myself being frustrated at an accident with my children, and they would start crying. Weren't crying yet, they were just playing. And now I'm frustrated, and they're crying. And that stinks. That doesn't feel good when you make your children cry. Uh, But again, the miraculous thing is, even though I'm the source of those tears, my own frustration, I'm still the one that he runs to, to console him and comfort him from the tears that I've created. And for me, that was astounding. I mean, that makes you melt. That is forgiveness. That's unconditional love. Those are postures of Jesus that my toddler is teaching me as a grown man who's a pastor with a seminary degree, and he's mirroring Jesus back to me, forgiving me so quickly and still loving me no matter what. The people around us are gifts, and they have something to offer. We just don't believe that they do. And sometimes When we don't recognize the gifts in our life, we operate out of a scarcity mindset. Jesus says, daily, give us daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. His provision is something that is given to us continuously. And when we operate out of a scarcity mindset, we try to stockpile what He's given us. Or we look at what other people have and we get jealous of what they have. We either stockpile it or we get jealous of what we have because we're operating out of a scarcity mindset. We don't think that He has enough to go around. That's all it is. And because we don't believe that, we begin to see people with suspicion and jealousy and frustration. Or we take what we have and we don't want to share it. But if we can humble ourselves and begin to see the things that we have and the people in our lives as a gift, and that brings us to our second posture, which is gratitude. If we recognize the gifts in our lives, we can respond with thankfulness, with gratitude. Uh, I preached this Sunday at... Uh, my church as well, and so those who attended that and heard me, and shout out to RJ, um, because in my core group I said something one time um, that he reminded me of that I actually didn't remember that I said, and I haven't been able to shake it since. But I said something, I said gratitude is the secret sauce of life, and I actually do believe that. 
Gratitude is the secret sauce of life. I think it fundamentally reformulates how you see the world. If you can begin to see the things in your lives as gifts and you begin to be grateful, it's really hard to be unkind. It's really hard to be selfish. It's really hard to be unloving. If you are grateful, those things don't often work very easily together. Now, I want to encourage you to be grateful for small things. I recognize that this could sound a little bit like some sort of toxic positivity. Some of you are going through really hard things. Not everything that you receive is a gift. Some of what you've received is trauma. Some of what you've received is tragedy. Some of what you've received is brokenness. You've been on the receiving end of those things. That's very difficult, and I want to encourage you that that is not from the Father. I just don't believe it is. And if you believe it might be, we can talk after. And if you are, if you are having a hard time believing that there are things in your life to be grateful for because the trauma and the tragedy and the brokenness is so loud in your mind and you don't have anyone to share that burden with you, I want to encourage you to come find me after because I do know people here who want to walk alongside you in your brokenness and they will love you and we on staff, that is, that is why we got into this work. Just know that. That's why we got into this work because we believe that this is and can be a really hard time to be faithful and to be a Christian and we want to be present in the midst of it. So come find us. Come talk to me and I'll point you in the direction of someone and then give you something to be grateful for because now you have someone in your life who is willing to listen, is willing to walk alongside you, and we can begin to uproot some of those patterns to something like gratitude. When we are attuned to the small ways that God loves us, it helps us have the boldness to ask for small things. For some reason in our prayers, we think that asking for small things is dumb. It's not worth it. It's not worth God's time. Something like that. God knows the hairs on your head. He's okay with you asking for something small. Courage to talk to someone that you want to be friends with, someone that you want to date. Before a test that maybe you didn't study for, but you probably should study for, and I can't promise that he's going to deliver you out of that uh, lack of discipline that you've fostered for yourself. But maybe, and if he does, something to be grateful for, right? Ask for the small things. Don't be afraid to do that. There's no reason. God is a loving Father who cares about the fundamental parts of our well-being, food, daily food, preparation, provision. God provides. Way back in the Old Testament, there is some root to this idea. 
Some of you may be familiar with it, but Exodus 16, the Israelites have been imprisoned and enslaved in Egypt, and Moses leads them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. The Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, and they do it for 40 years. And during that time, God provides His people with food, manna, it's called. Manna is this very weird thing. We think of it actually as like bread. Um, and in fact, at the beginning of Exodus 16, he says, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, uh, which sounds pretty cool. The best that we can guess, though, is that it was actually more like a grain. They had to go out and collect it, the Israelites did, every day. And they couldn't collect more than what they would use that day. If they tried to save any, the leftovers would spoil. Every time, leftovers would spoil. Give us this day our daily bread. They have to go out, and they would have to prepare it. And actually, on the sixth day, they did have to collect more than just what they would use because they had a Sabbath. And the story goes, some people didn't believe that there wouldn't be manna on the Sabbath. And they went out there, and there was nothing. So on the sixth day, they collected double portions. Now, the deal is, if it's going to spoil the next day, you can't stockpile it. The best thing that you can do, actually, then, is share it. So, there is something communal about give us this day our daily bread. The funny thing is the Israelites, the first time that they go out to collect it, they actually don't recognize it as manna. They're like, what is this stuff? And Moses is like, no, 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 this is the stuff that he's leaving out. And I think that is us. How often are we not attuned to the blessings that God has provided for us because we don't actually recognize them as blessings. And we need people around us to point us and say, no, 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 that is the blessing. Pay attention to the small things. I worked for that contractor for 10 months. Didn't work out in Chicago. Uh, my wife's job also didn't pan out. We thought when we moved there that we would live there long term, that we would raise our kids there, that we would get jobs, and that we would live that city life. Sounded cool. I worked for the guy for 10 months, and as my wife's job was coming to an end, and it became clear that it was going to end, end, school year, so May hits, the extra work that I was being given was dried up. The guy who had been gracious uh, didn't have anything for me. My wife's job was coming to an end, and there was a moment when she got her last paycheck, and I had no work and no income coming in, and we looked at our bank account, and we were like, well, this is it. We've got two months rent, and that's all, and that is a scary place to be in. We had no savings. Uh, in fact, we had loans because we had just gone through grad school, and uh, well, both of us in grad school was not cheap, and we had an apartment that we couldn't afford. It was difficult. And what's fun is that there was, during that season, uh, maybe, maybe you know this, um, there was an album 
that Chance the Rapper released, this was 2016, (laughs) called Coloring Book. And we lived in Chicago, and maybe you're familiar with Chance the Rapper, maybe you're not, I don't know. I mean, this was eight years ago. Um, He's released stuff since then, obviously. Um, It was a big deal in Chicago, uh, because he's a big deal there, and it was everywhere. And we were listening to it a ton during that season. The album came out in May. May is when everything dried up. We didn't have anything going, and there's a song at the end of that album that is pretty underplayed, in my opinion. I think it's a great song, uh, and there's a feature by a rapper called No Name, and she has this refrain in the song that she repeats four times, and it became something that Hannah and I would quote to one another because it was really encouraging, and for some reason, it helped us feel less alone that we had nothing. Uh, she says, and all that was left was his love, 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 and all that was left was his love. And it follows it, and it says, never drown. The water may be deeper than it's ever been. Never drown. The water may be deeper than it's ever been, and all that was left was his love. And all that was left was his love. Give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us daily. It was during that time that a friend of a friend reached out with a possible job opportunity for me at doing college ministry in Memphis. When I left Memphis and moved here, at the time, I didn't want to move back. There's a lot of layers to why that is, and it took a really difficult year to soften my heart to move back, and we did, and I don't regret it at all. In fact, the fact that our time in Memphis, which is where we moved here from, uh, was so good that it has like completely reformulated how I view that year. I'm now really thankful that actually it did soften my heart, that it was so difficult, that I was so desperate that I was like, yep, I'll take this one, let's go back. Uh, But also I'm thankful because we bought a house, and I learned a ton of practical skills during that 10 years, uh, during that 10 months working with the contractor. I was grateful that a friend was willing to eat into his own profits and to give me work. I was thankful that my wife and I had to rely on one another and on God. We became closer as a result of it. It has reframed my gratitude for that season. It was not an easy season. And it humbled me, and now it has created something like gratitude. Give us this day our daily bread. We're going to finish with this idea. We've been talking mostly about the way that God provides some tangible physical things for our own well-being. But there's also a sense in which He provides something spiritual, not just our own humility and our own gratitude, but He also provides us with spiritual growth, and that comes through knowing Him and knowing Him intimately and deeply. One of the ways that the original hearers of this prayer might have actually heard it is give us today 
tomorrow's bread. It's a really weird wording, and the way that we hear it here, give us this day our daily bread, that daily word can also be rendered tomorrow's, which sounds weird. But for the early church and the people who were hearing it, what that actually did was it created this vision of the eternal for them. Tomorrow's bread was the feast that's being prepared for them. It wasn't just tomorrow's physical sustenance. It was something to look forward to for eternity. Jesus is the bread of heaven. We're going to say this in a little bit. And we're going to take communion together. And communion, hopefully, is a glimpse of what that feast will look like. And we have been together invited to His table to commune with one another and with Him. So, as we get ready to take communion, I want you to humble yourselves and recognize what Christ has done on the cross for you. And feast on Him with thanksgiving in your heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the love that You have for us, that You sent Your Son, that He loved us all the way to the cross, but that wasn't the end. That He is preparing a feast for us, and He has invited us to His table to dine with Him in eternity as His bride. Thank You that You love us Give us the endurance in difficult moments to see them through, to believe that you are providing, to see the ways in our lives that you are providing for us. Thank you that you love us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.